is The Unseen, and I'm your host, Mike Cleland. Susan Demeter has had lifelong paranormal experiences with what she refers to as cosmic forces, and this includes UFOs. She is a Canadian-born author, scholar, and artist. She is also a practicing witch. And the focus of our conversation is the overlap of witchcraft and powerful, often mystical experiences, and this includes UFOs. The themes of her creative output revolve around her lifelong interest in exceptional human experiences, nature, social history, mysteries, and cosmic magic. Her book, Cosmic Witch, is subtitled Magic, Witchcraft, and the Supernatural. It is part memoir, part history, and part a call to activism. She is presently working on a series of independent experiments, and this will be the focus of her second book, Cosmic Witch, Volume 2, Conjuring UFOs, which should be available later this year. Susan spoke to me from her home in Bologna, Italy. And um, before we recorded the conversation, we spoke a little bit, and I had to ask, how is the food in Italy? And she replied, wonderful. I also asked about the coffee, and she was equally impressed about that, too. This conversation was recorded on Friday, February 19th, 2021. Please enjoy. Susan, I want to thank you so much for saying yes to this interview. It means a lot to me. Oh, thank you so much for asking me. It means a lot uh, to me that, that you asked me to be on the show. I'm really excited to talk to you. Great, great. And I'm, this is, I've, I've, I got good vibes about this talk. Good, good vibes. So you have been immersed in the study of UFOs, and you have also had your own experiences with this phenomenon, which is, which is actually pretty normal in this field. And so can you share, like the source of your studies, I guess the source of your dedication to these studies? Well, the source would be my own experiences. Um, and that would be, um, well, I would say that that really in, in, in my book, The Cosmic Witch, I talk about my UFO experiences as an adult, as initiations, uh, initiations into a different way of thinking about our reality about magic. Uh, I, but I would say that the source of the research really goes back to the earliest uh, parts of my childhood, uh, where I was having experiences with little beings that um, being a child, I didn't associate them with UFOs. I didn't really, you know, have a, a, an interest or, or knowledge really of UFOs at that time. But later on as an adult, when I had UFO experiences that I couldn't deny because I, I was an adult, I was with other adults. When I had these experiences, I looked back upon my childhood and I realized I had this whole rich series of events in my life that all seemed to be connected to this strange phenomena that, that we consider to be UFOs. So I would say that my research, my spirituality, in many ways, my very being is tied to this topic. Um, so much so that every time I've tried to walk away or step away for any length of time, 
uh, it just something will happen that pulls me right back into it. And usually that is some strange otherworldly type of experience. If that and, makes sense. Oh, it makes perfect. Oh, <laughs> well, you have no idea. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. So yeah. do you have an example of one of the more powerful of these transformational uh, experiences? And you called them um, an initiation. And, and that was, you, you got ahead of me because that was one of the questions I have here. That term initiation, um, that is, I use that term all the time. And I feel that is the perfect term. We may be projecting a little bit onto it. But I use it all the time, and I recognize the power of these experiences. They are powerful, and they can often be painful. Uh, and I would say that anybody who has had uh, a UFO experience, particularly, I'll tell you a little bit about my, my first adult UFO experience. Um, I was at the time 23 years old and I was up late at night uh, with my, my brother-in-law. We were watching um, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark of all things. I'll never forget that. When you have these experiences, they're so powerful that certain details just, they, they just uh, imprint themselves on you. You can never forget them. So anyways, it was about one o'clock in the morning, November 4th, 1990. And uh, the, the movie was ending and I was living uh, in a condominium that was about 10 stories up that overlooked Lake Ontario. And in the distance, I could see the uh, nuclear power plant. And it was my habit before going to bed at night. I had small children at the time to lock these sliding glass doors to make sure everything was locked up. And as I walked over to these sliding glass doors, I noticed this red pulsing orb and at first I thought, is this, is this a reflection off the TV? What, what is this? It was just such an odd thing to see. And when I realized it wasn't that, I opened the, the doors. I went outside. It was in my pajamas. And I never forget that because it was a chilly November in Toronto. And uh, I looked at this thing and it was out by the, the nuclear power plant. And it was pulsing, and it was so shocking to me that I, I called out to my brother-in-law, uh, who was still awake, and I, I said, you, you've got to come out here and see this. There's there's something strange going out, out here. And I I was thinking to myself, it's, you know, this is not a plane. I, this is not a helicopter. I'm discounting all these things in my mind. Uh, and then my brother-in-law came out onto this, this balcony, and uh, and he said, I think he was the first one to say, I, I, I don't know what that is. I, th I think we're seeing a UFO. And it was at that point, I had this thought in my mind. It was almost like a projection. They know we can see them. Now, the interesting thing to me about that is I actually forgot about that until a few years later. And, and then it came to me that I actually not only did this thought come to my mind, but I verbalized it out loud to my brother-in-law they, they can they know we're, we're looking at them like they know we can see them and at that point this orb this red glowing orb which was actually octagon shape was literally a stop sign in the sky it started to pulsate and then seemed to implode on itself and shoot straight up my brother-in-law had a little bit different of a memory as to how it, it it disappeared he didn't remember it imploding in on itself but Basically, you know, we, we, we were so freaked out and, and we stayed up all night long. I couldn't sleep. And we talked about what is this? This is so weird. This is so strange. 
And back then there was no easy internet to get to. I, I remember um, going out and getting a newspaper and thinking, we, we can't be the only people who have seen this thing. It was so big and it's over the, over the nuclear power plant. And there was nothing. There was nothing on the news. We, we debated calling the police at one point. But I mean, what do you, what do you say? Like, you know, we saw a UFO. They're going to laugh at us. Right. So we didn't contact anybody. And uh, at the end of the day, I, I did contact my dad and I, I told him I, I, I saw this thing. And, and you know, and, and God has blessed him because he said to me, I believe you. And, and then he, he actually told me he had his own UFO experience in the 1950s in the Gulf of Mexico. That's that's another story. But a few weeks went by and I, I managed to get some UFO books out of the library. And one of them was uh, written by uh, Alan Hynek. And it had the QFOS address. So I, I wrote everything down and, and I mailed this off to, to QFOS. And it came back to me, returned, you know, to sender. Because at this point, um, Dr. Heineck had already passed away. And I just, I kept that letter. And I, I sat on that for a few years until I was basically, um, I had a computer at home. Uh, and I was able to connect with people. This is going more towards the late 1990s. And I was able to connect with other people who had had UFO experiences. And at that point, I began my own uh, research efforts. That has sort of led me to where I am today as far as a researcher goes. But it was a very powerful uh, experience. And, and many years later, I realized that what I had seen in the sky with my, my brother-in-law at that point was a large stop sign. The symbolism at that point, at the moment that this was happening, wasn't clear to me. But years later, it did, and I and I thought back about what I had, um, what I was living through at the time personally, what was going on, and it did have personal meaning to me. And I thought that was very interesting that um, that the symbolism was was so clear later on in my thinking. Uh, but at the time it, it, it wasn't. So that, uh, that is, that is what I would say really led me towards research. And, and I do talk about that in the cosmic witch book. Um, I talk about that experience as, as really a, an initiatory, uh, uh, into UFO, uh, thinking into, into UFO being. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, so let's touch on that a little bit because that's something we had talked about very briefly, um, in our correspondence preparing for this show. Mm -hmm. the symbolic elements that show up within these experiences. Um, this is like the nuts and bolts researchers at MUFON would would probably not go down this alley. But this is exactly the kind of thing that I am fully drawn to. This is the kind of thing that fully engages me. That these... Oh, yeah, definitely. Me too. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I get I get so excited because, you know, to hear someone else saying this is it's it's wonderful to me. So many people are either nuts and bolts or they're they're null, like it's it's nothing or it's this. And you know, there's I think it's so much more richer and deeper than that. Yes, you're you're speaking out of my my own phrase book here, you know. So uh, and and what I'm finding so yes, is you know, the nuts and bolts thing, there's a pragmatic reason to ask things like, you know, what day did this happen, you know, and things like that. And if there's a burn mark in the backyard, you better go out there and, and measure it and do all the pragmatic things that a that a pragmatic researcher should do, but mm -hmm. but you should also like recognize that if these 
symbols show up. Or let me just say it this way. Like I have, I have since started to treat UFO sightings the same way, let's say, uh, an analyst would would interpret someone's dreams. So if someone comes to me and says, here's my UFO sighting, I, like, I'm listening with one ear as a UFO researcher, and I'm listening with the other ear as a dream interpreter. Like I'm, I'm looking for the symbolic stuff that would show up in dreams. We can talk about this a little more in the, in the rest of the show, because I feel like this is a rich vein that needs to be mined with, with some, some focus and some, some energy, because it's, it's so rich. As you said, that's a perfect word for it. It, it just adds a richness. Yeah. I'm not a Jungian analyst, so I won't be playing that, but I will say I'm, I'll put on my, my dream analysis hat mm -hmm. and I'll say, mm -hmm. so like a stop sign, right? So a stop sign, if you come to a road where there's a stop sign, you stop, but then you drive on. Yeah. Like, I mean, you, it doesn't mean stop everything. It just means stop for a moment, let the wheels come to a complete stop and then begin driving again. Mm -hmm. And how does that, how did that in your life path, how did that, is that an analogy that's valid? I would say so. Yes, um, it was. And it really, it reoriented my way of thinking. Then it, and, and then it led into what leads into what I called the second initiation was after I had got online and, and I started meeting people, I, I actually went out to a couple MUFON meetings and I became disenchanted. Um, at least with my my own local chapter of uh, of Mufon. and I started uh, I guess towards a path more of skepticism. I joined a skeptical organization about that time as well, which was really odd for me. But I mean, I also I also enjoyed it because I met some interesting people and and I learned different illusion and magic tricks and things like that. So I, I was kind of sitting there when. Um, on July 31st, 2001, I had another UFO sighting. This time was with a different person, but was also an adult. We weren't thinking about UFOs or, or even talking about anything strange or supernatural or weird, but we were taking a walk and we were um, in Ajax, Ontario. It's a little bit east of the same power plant about 11 years later. And as we're walking along, I started seeing these lights playing off the lake. And at first I thought, okay, it's twilight. Maybe it's, um, you know, a light off playing off sailboats or boys or whatever. You try to rationalize these things. But then I started not feeling so good. I started feeling as if I had a, a migraine coming on. And I, I am one of those people when I was younger, I would get migraine with aura. And I thought maybe it's time to walk back up to our car. So we're walking along this forested pathway that leads up to a top of a cliff uh, overlooking Lake Ontario. And it was at that point, and it was, if I can recall correctly, it was just around twilight time, I noticed another red light in the sky. And then another red light. And then another red light. And then what appeared to be a triangular UFO. And then a fourth light appeared. And it looked like a giant diamond shaped. The only way I can describe it is a spaceship, literally that just seemingly appeared in front of us. And, and, and I think both myself and my girlfriend at the time were shocked. OK, here's this thing. It looks like it's bobbing along in an air current. And then all of a sudden, these red lights come down, these beams of light come down. 
and I'm looking at it playing off the water. And at this point in time, just, just prior to this, I was going to regular skeptical meetings. I was starting to doubt my own experiences. Okay. Cause you know, when you're with people that are, are doubters, you start to doubt. And I just couldn't deny this. And I think we, it was, uh, I couldn't give you an exact estimate to how, how high it was or how far it was away from us, but it was very fairly close. Like, like I felt like if I picked up a rock, I could throw it and I would hit a metallic, it would make a metallic clink sound. Oh, wow. That's a question I often ask. If if you threw a rock, would it make a noise? Yeah. That is what I figured it would. Now I didn't do it, but that's what I figured. Like we were, we were holding each other. And I think like all the hairs on my arms and everything were standing up on end. We were in shock. And then it just, it it looked almost as if it was like a kite bobbing in an air current. And then it looked like it slightly shifted and then vanished. But I had this feeling at the time that whatever it was that we were seeing was still there. I just, we weren't seeing it anymore. Oh, oh, that's, that's something I've also hear very often. Like, and I have my own experience where I saw something in the sky, like just click disappear with a blink of an eye. And I had the strong impression it's still there. Yeah. Isn't that wild? And that's something I've heard a lot of people say like, Ooh, the, the UFO ping, it completely disappeared. And then like almost shyly or nervously or embarrassed, they'll say, but I think it was still there. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a really eerie, eerie experience. And so at that point, I think we got, we got really scared and we, we ran the rest of the way down this path towards where our car was parked in the parking area. And as soon as we get back um, to the house, I, I wrote everything down. I made a sketch and I was, I was, again, I was really blown away. And at that point I couldn't deny what I had just experienced at all. Uh, and it was a spaceship. To me, it looked like a spaceship. Okay. So I couldn't, I couldn't maintain intellectual honesty with myself or, or, or with the, the skeptical group anymore. So I, I left as Skeptics Canada at that point. And again, it totally reoriented my way of thinking and much more powerfully than the stop sign. I mean, at this point, no, I couldn't deny the reality of UFOs. Uh, and and at that point, um, I was still open to the idea of a nuts and bolts. And and it's still, it, you know, I try to say to people, it still may be the ETH with the nuts and bolts. I just, I don't find that satisfying. And I think that's why I, I was so happy to be part of um, Robbie Graham's book, UFOs Reframing the Debate, because it seems that when it comes to UFOs, the, the main thinking is either it's it's extraterrestrials visiting us from other planets in spaceships, or it's absolutely nothing. And neither of those answers are satisfactory to me and to my experience. So I, it was at that point in 2001 that I began to um, really research UFOs in earnest, uh, including talking to many, many people who have had experiences uh, and following up on on UFO cases. And over time, um, I would say I incorporated my own sense of spirituality as well and my spiritual practice into uh, investigating and exploring the topic of UFOs. Ooh, ooh, let me interrupt. This is a very good point to to have our very first break. For free listeners, you will hear a few commercials. For paying members, we will be right back. 
We are back on The Unseen, and we are here with my guest, Susan Demeter, and we are talking about UFOs and their transformative power, their initiatory power. Um, just before the break, you talked about your problems with the ETH, and I also have those same problems. My sense is that, like, if you look at this subject on the surface, the ETH is absolutely pragmatic and makes sense. But as soon as you dig just a little deeper, as soon as you just scratch at even the simplest sighting, you're going to be confronted with these other issues. Often these issues are spiritual, and they play out not as a metal spaceship filled with little scientists coming here to study us, which is a very simplistic way to look at the issue, right? So we go into Yellowstone National Park with helicopters and, you know, basically a flying object. And we we research grizzly bears. We dart them, we drug them, we, we and then the, the helicopter flies away. So the grizzly bear is having the same experience that we would would think that the abductee is having until you just scratch a little bit and truly explore these things. So I'm I'm gonna be purposely provocative. If you are stuck in the ETH, you are avoiding the the research, the the depth of the research. If you're stuck in the ETH, you are denying aspects of, of the mystery. And for me, you know, I guess I started with ETH to a degree and, and that all crumbled once I started reading and talking to people and starting looking at my own experiences more thoughtfully. I mean, that crumbles and you're left with this realization that reality itself is much richer and much more multi-layered than, you know, we were taught in junior high school science class. I completely agree with you. And I think that um, part of my problem as well with the ETH, well, first, one of the reasons I abandoned it for myself is that after the spaceship uh, incident, it wasn't, it wasn't right after, it took time, but exploring my own experiences and why I, I wanted it to be the ETH, I, I really, I, I, I came to the conclusion that the reason I was putting so much stock into the ETH at one point was because I wanted it to be true. I, I was a baby of the Apollo missions. I, you know, I grew up with a scientist dad who was like all over every, you know, a moon mission and, and all this space stuff. And, and, and I was a huge fan of Dr. Who growing up and, and, uh, you know, Star Trek and Star Wars. And I, I just I wanted all those universes to be true. But I realized that my belief or my thoughts on the ETH was more oriented towards what I wanted in my own desires versus where the evidence uh, was and, and what it was showing. And, and the fact that, yes, uh, these reports um, I did find with some of these uh, UFO researchers, what they were doing is they were sanitizing reports. They were not showing the high strangeness because, you know, of, of fear that, you know, if you, if you get into some of the really weirder aspects, it'll take away from the uh, so-called, and I'm going to make scary quotes, uh, respectability of, of ufology. Oh, oh or, I've given up. I've given up on being respectable. Yeah. Like I, I'm not even I'm not concerned at all about that. I'm completely at peace with being the sort of, uh, you know, the fool in the corner. You know, so that, that, 
the the nutty uncle at the family reunion. Let me put it that oh, way. Oh yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And and but but you're part. You you've been part of the UFO community, so I'm sure you've seen it as well. And then and then on top of that, when you have the, these types of UFO researchers mixed in with the skeptical types or the even the pseudo skeptical types, um, then you have witnesses who will hold things back. Um, you know, they won't feel comfortable talking. And then then you're missing out on all this. Again, the word rich, the richness of these experiences is completely lost because people are afraid that, you know, you're going to make fun of them or they're going to be mocked or they're going to be looked at as crazy. So you don't get the full experience. I often found that um, I, I was a, a really a boots on the ground researcher for many years that I, I would go meet people. And I think when you sit down and have a cup of coffee with somebody and, and often I would, you know, I'd bring, I have a little alien doll. I call him Mason, this little green doll that I got and he's in purple robes that uh, I got in Niagara Falls. And, and I would bring him along as my little mascot just to break ice, just to show people, you know what, I, I've had these experiences and I'm, I'm really open to things and I'm, I'm, a, you know, I'm a chill person. I'm not going to judge you. I don't want to judge you. I just want to know what really happened as far as, as as you experienced it. And then people then begin opening up and they say, well, you know, I had this experience, but also I grew up in a haunted house. Oh, oh, I've heard that. I've heard that so many times. Yeah, keep going. Keep going. Exactly. So so there's the this depth of this experience that this this really, really exceptional human experience you know, forget the ETs and that, but these are human beings that are having these wondrous experiences, sometimes very scary, sometimes just super awe-inspiring. And, you know, and that's what I want to, I want to talk about. That's what I want to learn from is, is that not just the, the basic, you know, well, what did you see? How far was it from you? What color was it? You know, I think th those are important questions, but they are certainly not the only questions. So that, oh, that's oh, where I'm at. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Yes, and that those that that conversation you you must be able to relate to this. Oftentimes, like um, like it's six hours. Like I kind of say, like to really hear someone's story fully takes six hours. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know that's multiple phone calls. That's really an investment in you know the time of the researcher, and then allowing the the person to really feel comfortable and share their experiences. So you're talking like. The stories are so complicated and so rich that they turn into these novels. That's how I have come to see it. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's it's something. It, it leaves me with a sense of you know I feel honored that that people would trust me with some of these experiences that are very intimate and and I think that there has to be that respect there for people and and understanding that you know these the, these are not simple little experiences that a person can relate you know they are often sometimes very traumatic very again awe inspiring um and they change us they change who we are and they change our lives uh you know which is why again the word initiation i think is important yes yes i would also say i would say there's a responsibility yes on the part of the researcher to to take this seriously i mean these People's stories are so similar. At the same time, they're so individual. Mm -hmm. Hey, so, uh, you know, UFOs are a highly charged subject. And by that, I mean it is full of difficult and often absurd accounts. Mm -hmm. And this subject is ignored and often ignored with contempt by the public or our peers, let's say. 
And yet, as you said, it can change people's lives. Mm -hmm. Now, you have also been immersed in another equally highly charged life track. You are a practicing witch. Yes, I am. And how do these two tracks overlap? Well, the, the title of the book in English is uh, Cosmic Witch. And I think it's because I, I cannot separate my spiritual life for my experiences with UFOs and, you know, the visitors. Uh, my witchcraft is informed by my experience as, as who I am, as I think that is true of anybody's own spiritual path. Um, but what I discuss in the book is how my, my practice as a witch, how I construct rituals, my beliefs in that are tied into what I would consider the cosmic forces, which would include UFOs. Um, and, and then there's different chapters within the book as well, where I discuss, um, science and, and, and parapsychology and UFOs and scientists themselves who were practicing magic, such as Jack Parsons and their experience with UFOs and the UFO topic. So there's this rich interplay, I think, again, the word rich, um, between all these various subjects and how UFOs have, in fact, uh, inspired spirituality and spiritual traditions in others, whether it's myself or um, traditions of uh, Aboriginal First Nation and Indigenous peoples of North America. Um, so it's, it's a very in-depth, in-depth subject. But for me personally, um, I do discuss many different traditions in witchcraft, just giving a little taste of different traditions for people that perhaps are unfamiliar with the topic or maybe are laboring under some misconceptions. Uh, I do touch upon all of those, but I also um, discuss how my own path was forged in these experiences with the supernatural. My belief in magic as an actual and real, you know, thing, force, uh, and and how I go about um, my own spirituality. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> Perfectly, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, uh, you know, witchcraft and witch has got all kinds of. Uh, preconceptions in our culture. Mm -hmm. So when you say magic, give an example. I mean, obviously, like, uh, you know, the tarot deck might be an example of a very simple form of magic. You know, what are you, you know, what kind of magical practices are you undertaking? Well, tarot is, is one of the tools that I use. I do have a chapter on various tools uh, of that witches uh, employ, uh, which can be, is very an individualized thing. Um, but there's tarot, but for me, magic, the operative part of magic itself, no matter what tool we use, no matter what ritual we construct is, is tied into psi, um, and psi being, um, uh, the physical manifestations of psychokinesis, uh, as well as extrasensory perception, uh, including remote viewing, uh, and, and various other um, forms of, of gaining non-local information. So what a, a, a witch may do as far as, as a magical practice or a magical act, whether it's ritual work, you spell work, this type of thing, is in fact uh, utilizing psi or psychic ability to um, shape uh, reality 
in, in ways that um, we would want to be positive to the outcome that we want, if that, again, makes sense. That makes perfect sense. Hey, let's take this moment to have our second and final break. Uh, for free listeners, you will hear a few commercials, and for paying members, we will be right back. We are back on The Unseen, and we are with my guest, Susan Demeter, and we are talking about UFOs and their overlap with the spiritual and with magical practices. Now, here, I want to, I'll just, gonna, I'm going to share one thing that I did when I was coming to terms, when I was wrestling with with my own experiences, like like trying to make sense of the experiences I've had in my life. Often, those, those experiences were were mostly synchronicities. I was flooded with powerful synchronicities between about 2006 and 2011, and I was really struggling. And they all seemed to tie into this UFO stuff. So what I would do, I did this completely organically. I never read it in a book. It just felt intuitive, like this is what I, in my in my soul, I knew this is what I needed to do. I was living out west at the time, and I lived near a national park, uh, Grand Teton National Park, and I would often go in for one night. I would hike into the mountains all alone. I would lay out under the stars, no tent. Mm -hmm. And I would, I would, it was like a formal act. Mm -hmm. I would lay out under the stars and I would say aloud as I drifted off to sleep, I am open and receptive to whatever you have to offer. Like I would address the universe. In, in essence, I was praying. I used the term the universe rather than saying God or, mm -hmm. you know, father sky or something like that but i would say you know mm -hmm. you you are smarter than i am you know addressing the universe and mm -hmm. i would prefer it not be scary but i am open and receptive to whatever you have to offer i would also say that i will take whatever i learn and share it for the good and then i would say thank you in advance and not every time mm -hmm. but very often i was hit with with oftentimes very powerful dreams, yet more often with very, very powerful synchronicities that would that would seem immediately connected to that event. That, that would happen the next morning sometime. And I documented all those and those synchronicities, like formally asking and then getting a powerful magical event. Like the synchronicities were so over the top and absurd. Like I asked a question, I got an answer to this question. And, and so what, what was I doing? What was happening there? Well, you were doing a ritual and you were opening yourself up. It, it's like you said, in it, it's like a prayer. It's something that I actually do um, pretty much on a daily basis uh, because I need for my own spiritual practice. I feel it's better for me to be beholden to something greater than myself. So I do, I thank the cosmos for my life. Uh, and I am also, I, I as well, I'm very open to, I ask for these insights. I'm very open, but I also say, yes, I don't, I don't want scary experiences. And for the most part for myself as an adult now, I, my own experiences have not frightened me. They've, they've shocked me sometimes. But I, I have not had a truly frightening experience with these phenomena. And in fact, part of what I'm doing with my own research now is experimenting um, with 
with the phenomena, going out and doing these types of practices. And I, I live in a very rural area now in a, in a tiny village uh, surrounded by hectares and hectares of, of natural preserve. So I'm, I'm immersed in nature. And I find that this has really, really helped me uh, connect with the cosmos. So I think that that's, that's exactly what you were doing. You were doing a magical act and you were rewarded. You were, you know, because when, when you open yourself up with humility, with a humbleness, I think that it, it works, it, it, it understands, it works with you to help you understand what's happening and, and to give you that, those confirmations with the synchronicities. Um, I once tried to map out all the synchronicities within my life. And, and for me, it's, it's funny because I, I live in Bologna, Italy, um, Canadian. So, you know, even 10 years ago, if you told me, oh, you're going to be living in Bologna, Italy, I was like, what? <laughs> That's kind of strange. But mapping out these synchronicities in my life and going back to uh, particularly a, a scholar of witchcraft that I, I really recommend, Carlo Ginsberg. Uh, for those that are interested in historical witches, everything comes back to Bologna for me. And it's almost as if after the first time I came here, uh, a project was made for me. And, and I feel at home and welcome uh, here in, in, in such a wonderful way with my magic as well as my, my personal life. You know, These synchronicities reinforce that there's just so much more to our reality and and the magic and the and you know and the enchantment of our world. I, I I agree. You know, people have asked me like, how has your life changed since like looking into these experiences? And the first time someone asked me that, I had to think for a second, and my answer, which was honest, was to say, I now live in a magical universe. Mm -hmm. And and so you said something just I think it was just before the break. You said you're interacting with these cosmic forces. There are these cosmic forces and they include UFOs. So for me, like you're saying what I've, like a similar thing that I've concluded, like I, I have come to see UFOs, owls and synchronicity as being the same thing or or more correctly, having the same transformative power. You know, I can include other things like um, dreams and, uh, and um, like just, hearing other people's experiences like the near death experience i think could fall into this does does this make sense to you that these mm -hmm. there's like a an a web of these and ufos is just one strand on this web i i believe so and if you um start looking into afterlife research or even ghosts and hauntings and poltergeists and uh all these various different phenomena, and in fact, our, our, our mutual friend Josh Kutch and, and, and his work with the Sasquatches and the Bigfoots, uh, you start seeing these common patterns. That if you only focused on one topic, you might miss out on. But I mean, for instance, like with the with the UFOs and the abductees, um, they they often describe the UFO pilots coming in through a wall or through a closed window or through the roof. Um, where, you know, apparitions of, of deceased persons are also described occasionally coming in through the roof or walking through a wall or, you know, um, these types of experiences, uh, there, there's, there are patterns that are suggestive that, you know, even if there's something different, 
the mechanism may be the same as to how they are appearing to us. But I do think that the deeper meaning behind all of these is that reality, as we know it, is just so much more broad, so much, there's so much greater than, than our normal perception and our normal consensus reality allows for. And I think that once you have these experiences, especially if you have them as a child, I had many, many experiences as a child. They, they frightened me. Um, but they also, again, shaped my my witchcraft practice. They, they, they allowed me to understand that there is more out there than, than you know, what we learn in, in school, like the basics and, and basic reality. So I guess that made me the, the, the weird kid, you know, at the back of the class. But I think that many of us that, that find ourselves as researchers and, and really immersed in these topics, uh, and experiencing these things probably went through similar, at least in North America, similar things, you know? I Oh, yes, yes, I agree. So here, I'm going to ask a question, like, how would you rate your psychic abilities? Uh, it depends. Um, I can tell when I'm in the zone. When I'm in a zone, my psychic abilities are, are really, really tight. I mean, I, I can occasionally, I've seen apparitions of ghosts of the house that I'm living in now. I, I live in a villa in, in the Italian Alps. Um, when I visited here, uh, I saw an apparition that pointed out to a sign. At the time, we weren't house hunting either, but um, we just happened to be driving to this sacred site, the sacred mountain where there's, um, the, it was sacred to the early Christians as well as the early pagans. And there's Etruscan runes up there, specifically a temple where, where the Etruscan people would commune with the gods through light phenomena, which I found very interesting. But uh, we were driving through this small village, and I saw uh, the, a full-bodied apparition of a man pointing us to a sign. Uh, I found out later he was uh, an apparition through my now neighbor who showed me pictures of this man who had passed away a few years before, and it was uh, through his widow that we event eventually bought this house. And I took a picture of the sign. It said Vendessi. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't really speak Italian. And uh, it, it was a for sale sign. <laughs> <So> <laughs> and it just through synchronicity. Well, that's more um, than synchronicity. That's like the synchronicity is one thing. That's like a that's like a manifestation. That's like a yeah, that's something a little bit of a few notches higher than a simple synchronicity. But anyway, go on. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's experiences like that, and it's it's in it, 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 I was in that that zone where I just I know when I'm feeling more psychic, and that's usually when I I do these um I do my own ritual work. It's all very spontaneous, specifically when I'm working on trying to create a UFO experience, and I've done this with groups of people, and I've done this with my you know, which is going to be the basis of my second book is all these uh, experiments in the hopes of maybe inspiring others as well to try these things. Uh, I think that there is that co-creation process, and I think that that psychic ability comes into it. I sometimes am not feeling psychic at all. And in, on those days, you know, we all have our blah days. Um, I just, I don't do these things, but there are times when I, I feel it and I've, I've felt that way since I was a child. It's almost like I, I knew there was that feeling. And then sure enough, I'd have this strange experience or I would, I would intuit something or I would be able to go into a trance state and, and, an RV, um, which is another thing. And, you know, that I've, I've been very interested in, in bilocation and 
and all this neat stuff. But it's 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 that feeling. So sometimes, so in answer to your questions, I'll just give you a very long answer. Sometimes I feel very psychic, and other times eh, not so much. Okay, and and I would say like I've had very powerful psychic experiences. I don't feel like I can control them. Um, I've talked to some psychics, and they say, "Oh, you could control those. Oh, I could help you control those." And I'm kind of like, "Uh oh, I don't want to. I don't know if I want to go there. I feel like my life is full enough right now. I don't need to like bring in psychic abilities." But I've had very powerful psychic knowings that have turned out to be very true, and they're they're uh, some of them are profound, and some of them are just completely mundane things. So, a question for you: mm -hmm. Now, would people who already have psychic abilities, would they then be drawn to the studies and practices of witchcraft? Or conversely, would these practices in themselves, like if Joe Normal got involved in witchcraft, would that then imbue or increase their psychic abilities? Do you, do you get what I'm asking? Yeah, I do. I think that the more you you do these things, um, the more you you practice, the more uh, these things will occur. It's like you're authorizing them to happen, if that makes sense. Um, you're allowing, you're opening yourself up for it, and the more you do, the more likely something will happen. But when it comes to psychic ability, like I do, also feel that it can be controlled and it can be practiced. Um, but at the same time, for me personally, it's always the spontaneous things that tend to be more powerful. So, but I do think that, yes, if you, if you, it's like with remote viewing, if you uh, practice it, the better you'll get at it, you know? And and are you working, are you, do, do you do remote viewing as a practice? I do sometimes do it, yes. And are you working with a team? Are you formally doing it like with the protocols in a, you know, a sealed envelope type thing? I have done that in the past, but I find for myself, again, with too many protocols, it's it's once there's too many rules for me, it just it doesn't work the way I want it to. So I'm a little bit more of a Wild West type witch. But, uh, and I get that. I get that. I could imagine myself yeah. being like like. A, anyway, yes. Yeah, so I yeah. I met uh, Russell Targ and at a UFO conference and he was in, I've told this story a few times in the show, I think, but I'll just tell it here. So he was giving a talk at a UFO conference and like he wanted the audience to remote view. And he said, I've come to this talk with a piece of paper and pencil. So I had a notepad and a pencil. Mm -hmm. And he said, um, I want you to imagine the next slide that I am about to show. And he just said, take a minute. And he had like a little, you could tell he'd been said the same thing for decades. You know, he said, you know, think of the surprising and unusual element within the next slide that I'm about to show. And I thought for a second, I had this view of, it felt like barbed wire with big barbs, like rose thorns. It was more like coiled rose thorns, like coiled in a town square, in a gazebo in a town square with this swirling kind of art project almost of like vines with rose thorns on them. And the rose thorns had, you know, they have that very specific kind of curved shape with the point on them. Mm -hmm. And um, I drew this and I drew these cement benches around it. And the next slide he showed was, it was a um, the, the commons, uh, an open area in Stanford University in California. And it was a sculpture of dolphins swimming in a circle. Mm -hmm. And the, like the, imagine like the artist put the nose of one dolphin touching the tail of the other dolphin and they all were swirling together like in a in a school of dolphins oh. but when you looked at the tail mm -hmm. as well as the the 
the fin on their backs as, as well as the fins on their sides, mm -hmm. um, they looked very much like rose thorns, right? The shape of a, of a dolphin's oh, fin no, no. looks like a rose. The shape. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So, and I showed it to him afterwards. The, the interesting thing was the cement benches were remarkably dead on. Mm -hmm. And and I showed it to him afterwards. It was funny. My first reaction was, oh, I didn't get this at all. And the next day I looked at it and I said, wow, I, I really did get this. Yeah. And so I showed it to him. And he, he, he's got this very deep commanding voice. And he said, oh, this is quite good. And I, I'm a professional illustrator. So I drew some bushes behind the cement benches. Mm -hmm. And there were no bushes in real life. And as I was drawing them, I, I was just allowing myself to, to draw those. And I said, listen, I work as a professional illustrator and I've done it all my life. And I just like went on autopilot and I just drew those bushes in. I, I kind of sensed in the moment. And he said, it was very funny. He said, oh, the demon of the mind. Mm -hmm. like allowing the mind to enter, like when you should be doing this in a mindless place. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that was my one and only time to ever attempt that. And I, I did very well. Mm -hmm. I've since found out that what he would do, what Russell Targ would do when people from the military would come in and be skeptical about remote viewing, he would run a simple program just exactly like that. And what happens is there's a real thing. Beginner's luck is a real thing in a way, or you're just so open to it. You're just so so open that people will often have very powerful remote viewing experiences on their very first try. So basically the budget people, like whether they're going to put money into it, would come into his office and say, like, We're, we have doubts about your program. And he said, sit down. And he would do a little thing like this. And they would get these direct hits. And so that was, in a way, how he funded this through this, like, almost like trickery, you know, that he knew that these people would do well on their first time. Yeah. So what it tells me is that, again, reality is much richer and much more multi-layered than than we were taught yeah and and this seems to be a magical truth too is that you know when you do your first big ritualistic work or or you do a spell and it just it turns out exactly as you wanted it to and then after that if you try to do it again it will never turn out as well as it did the first time oh uh, yeah i have i have almost I have almost the same experience, but my first time I meditated, mm -hmm. I went to, there was like, like a storefront that was closed down in my hometown and the people who rented the storefront just let people use it for community meetings, you know? And so I went there one time and it was just, I'd never done it before. It was like a little meditation and I kind of turned to the person next to me like, I have never done this before. What do I do? And they said, just relax and just let your mind just be blank. And I went, okay. And I had the most powerful, beautiful meditative experience I've ever had. And I have never been able to match that. Yeah. Isn't that, it's, it's funny how it works that way. You know, it's almost as if it's that gateway that brings you in. And, and I know with Russell Targ, he, I think he developed an app. I think it's his app and I have it on my, my, my iPad and it's, it's a remote viewing thing and it's, it's colors. And then there's a, a picture. And I know that you know, if I leave it alone for a while and I and I, I'm feeling that in the zone moment and I go to it, I can do very, very well. I can score very high on it. But if I keep doing it directly the same way, then, you know, it I, I start maybe getting a lower score. If I if I try to do it on a day that I'm just not feeling it, then no, it's not gonna work out. So I leave it alone for a bit. But I do think that if you do these things and vary them up or do things that you're enjoying and, and that you're, you're putting your own self into your individual self, you can get better at it, you know, whether it's remote viewing or, or whatever it is you're trying to do. 
um, create a synchronicity, for instance, or learning to read the tarot. If, if, if you do it, the more often you do it, the better you'll become. Hey, you sort of implied that you were doing experiments with Psy in, in connection with your um, witchcraft. As, and does it also include the UFO stuff, these, these uh, experiments? Are they, and, and then I'll ask the second questions. Are these very formal scientific experiments you're doing? Some of them have been. In fact, I, I first came out as, as a witch um, publicly because I, I was fortunate in that I was having, uh, I had a luncheon several years ago with um, Dr. Adam Crabtree, who is of the Esalen Institute in California. And I was explaining to him a little bit about this experimentation that I was doing in trying to uh, create a UFO experience or see if I could create a UFO with a group of people in another location that could perhaps be verified by people who are at the location that wouldn't know anything about the experiment that we were trying to do. And, and he turned to me and he said, you know, 500 years ago, they would have burned you at the stake. And I was, <laughs> I, I giggled and I thought, yeah, yeah, it is. It's true what I'm doing. No matter what kind of scientific language I wrap this up in, it is an occult act. It is, you know, it is, it's witchcraft. So after that, and because I really respected him so much in his work and and he's had really interesting synchronicities with the um, with Bobby Kennedy and before the assassination and all that kind of stuff. So after that, I felt, you know, if Dr. Crabtree can come out and say, yeah, you're a witch and, and it can be, you know, respectable, I, I can then come out to the world. Because before that, for many years, I worked in marketing and I and I worked in a very conservative industry of insurance and, and financial industry. So I couldn't really come out because of all this you know, baggage and the, the, this, these misconceptions around the word witch and my own spirituality, um, I kind of kept that hidden. But oddly enough, I was able to let people know that, oh, as a hobby, I'm really interested in UFOs, simply because you can wrap up the UFO stuff in skeptical language and scientific language. So it's the same thing with the experiments towards creating a UFO. So some of the things I have done, yes, um, involved a group, more or less RVs. So to try and explain it in a very simple way uh, would be a group of people getting together and uh, meditating on UFO and creating a, a either light in the sky or a, a spaceship in the sky. Uh, what we did is we took geo-coordinates of six places that are known UFO hotspots around the world and one that was um, not a UFO place, or at least one that wasn't reported many, many UFOs. And we took those and gave them to someone to pick out one of the coordinates, someone that didn't know what the experiment was about, and then instructed, and by the way, they happened to be a UFO abductee. I just thought that that would be a fun, quirky thing to throw in. <laughs> oh, say it one more time. What was, what's the context of that, just to clarify? Okay, so we had a group of seven people that are different uh, different backgrounds that were working towards creating a UFO. And what we did is we took geo-coordinates of these different places, and we had a person who had had UFO experiences but had no idea what this was all about or that there was even an experiment done, trying to make it as blind an experiment as possible for as many people as possible 
to pick out from these locations, these geolocations from around the world, one such place. That was then given to yet another person who put this away for a year. They were not at all in any ways tied with the experiment. And I didn't know what location this place was. And what we did, one of the things we talked about doing was creating maybe a gray alien. And I discussed that for a couple of years with various people and creating a narrative around it, maybe a crashed spacecraft that, um, you know, the alien needed our help. He was a friendly alien, you know, trying to create a, 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 a narrative that's friendly. And at the same time, we have an authority to maybe send the alien away at the end of the experiment. Well, I decided against that because, as you know, so many people have had these experiences with visitors that um, are very traumatic. And I I didn't see an ethical way that I could guarantee that if I'm working with other people, I could guarantee their safety or their psychology, even um, their psyche uh, in the future. So I, d I didn't want to do that. So we decided to try and see if we could send a UFO. Well, well here, let me just let me just interrupt one second. OK, so are you saying like you were literally trying to create a narrative or, or like an actual tulpa? I guess that would be the word. It would be a tulpa. It would be like a tulpa or a thought form that would be experienced by other people in a set location. Okay, so, good. I could see. Yeah. I, I understand your caution then. very well. Good. Yeah, I, I think with any of these acts, we, we have to minimize harm, particularly if, if we're going to involve other people. There, you know, we have to try and make sure that the people there's no, you know, as best as we can when it comes to these things um, to try and, and mitigate any chance that someone could be harmed. So we, we decided to try this with a UFO, like creating a tulpa, literally, or a thought form in the sky that people could witness that would be outside of ourselves. And this went on for about a year, and we did have some success with this. Uh, and, and oddly enough, at the same time I was running that experiment, which was with several professional people, including um, academics, uh, that uh, were part of this experiment. I was doing another one with just two other people creating a just a fictional story, a UFO story that we were going to send a UFO somewhere. And, and that group, other than the connection being myself, did not know about the other experimental group. And at the end of the day, after all of this, it turns out that this location, which turned out to be Hestalen in Norway, uh, had one of the best, uh, after many, many years, one of the best uh, years of, of UFO and light experiences at their location, which I took as confirmation. And we didn't know that until the end of the experiments. That um, and, and that location was picked at random? That wasn't one of the hotspots? It was a random, it was, it was a hot spot, but it hasn't been too hot in the in recent years. But it was a hot spot in, in the 1980s. Um, uh, Dr. Heineck had visited there, uh, as well as, as um, there were several scientific missions there, including my, my husband um, went there looking at UFOs many, many years ago in 2001. And, and so it was very interesting to me, the synchronicity between the two sets of experiments ending up in this one location in the world where, oddly enough, after the experiment had ended the following day, oddly enough, the person that is there in Hestalen posted, Dr. Erling Strand, posted that uh, on Facebook, oh, I had this, this really amazing UFO experience. 
you know, I, this light experience with one of the science students, and, and he was really excited about it and thinking maybe the scientific equipment had caught something. Strangely enough, not, none of the equipment worked or it, it didn't catch that particular light display. But I took it as confirmation that something happened within both of these experiments that created this light phenomena experience for this person at that point in space and time without us knowing where we were sending this UFO. And I, I would say it took us several months of meditating. We would coordinate and we would meditate at the same time. We had a private group that we would discuss things. We would we started having synchronicities amongst ourselves, the participants. And the more we became comfortable with each other, uh, you know, friendly and, and that the more I think it really gelled the magic that was able to create this this temporary UFO. So that my my second book will be more detailing those types of uh, experiments with creating thought forms and UFOs and and seeing where that takes us because I do feel that there is an intimate connection between whatever it is and ourselves. Um, yeah, 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 and that and that's so. I mean, to, you know, there's been a lot of stuff written on. I mean, it's like that it blends together synchronicity and things like that. So my. My strong sense is yes, we can influence reality in in profound ways through intention. Mm -hmm. um, I'm very, you know, I have a, I have a, I'm cautious to talk about Dr. Stephen Greer. Oh, his methods work. Oh, that's that was my next thing. I was going to say I have every <laughs> bit of confidence that his methods are can can get powerful results. Especially, I mean, he's a very charismatic force, mm -hmm. and I could see him being in a group being able to lead and, and, let's say, channel that energy into a powerful sighting. Um, at the same time, you know, the, the, here's this is something that is very common in, in what I've heard is that people will, like I, one of the questions I ask is, uh, if someone has a UFO sighting, the question I ask is, what was going on in the moments before you had the UFO sighting? And, and it happens so often that it leaves me astonished that people will say, you know, you know what I was thinking just in the moments before? I was thinking... You know, I want to see a UFO, mm -hmm. and they can. It's again that sort of almost cautious or embarrassed, like confession. Yeah, that they that they say that. And so, why is that any different than just a random thought? Like, oh, maybe wouldn't it be nice to see a UFO? Within minutes, they see a UFO. Why is that any different than someone you know going through a formal uh, ritual uh, with with protocols of trying to initiate? A UFO sighting. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, to me, they're essentially the same thing. The whimsical thought in your mind, as well as the formal protocols. Exactly. It's a very spontaneous thing. And I understand your caution with, um, with Stephen Greer, but he is a trickster-like figure, in my opinion. And therefore, you know, while we can deal with him as an individual with caution, his methodology does work. Oh, oh, yeah. I've never doubted that. Yeah. Yeah. I've never doubted that. Um, at the same time, I'm just, you know, whatever the... Uh, I'm from Michigan, and I'm just, you know, inherently, you know, polite and private and stuff like that. And he doesn't seem to have some of those characteristics. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I agree. But, like, it's the same with any... Um, well, with many of these, these shamanic people, these... Uh, you oh, know, oh, it must be very tempting to to take advantage of that, you know, 
that that uh, I mean it's it's feeding an ego. Let's put it that way. Yeah. It is. It is. It's the same way in and in principle that hoaxing can coax out real UFO, real paranormal phenomena. It does. I don't know why that is, but it's it 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 can. Um, for instance, uh, here in Italy, uh, my husband investigated some crop circles that were definitely hoaxed. I mean, he could see the impressions of where they were hoaxed. And yet people did like, you know, sincere people did have experiences in these crop circles of, of lights, of light balls, of things. So at one, at one end there was, there was trickery. But at the, at the other, there were people that were also experiencing strange, real strange and, and, and weird stuff. So, you know, sometimes when you have these enigmatic, strange people, they can they can have, induce these powerful experiences. And there is a reality to them, you know, aside from whether this person is a trickster-like figure or not. And, and yes, I have tried uh, his protocols and, and they do work. Yeah. 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 So um we talked about this a little bit at the beginning of the show and let's circle back to this uh exploring the symbolic content in UFO encounters. Mm -hmm. Uh you had the example of the stop sign in the beginning and I'll, I'll just I want to tell one quick story here. I have a very close friend mm -hmm. and she was driving with her son and she was on a rural road and it was nighttime, and there was this giant craft that came over the road, like huge, giant, close encounters, science fiction movie-sized craft, like slowly floated over the road. Wow. And she came to a complete stop. This thing was right over her. She ran up to this house. She didn't know what to do. So the house, there was a, right in front of a house. She pounded on the door. Come out, come out. You got to see this. You got to see this. In the middle of the night, these people are like, what's going on? And they actually saw the light as it was disappearing. They never saw much, but they did get a little bit of a light as it was disappearing. She was super embarrassed. She got back in her car. She got to a T intersection, right? Mm -hmm. There was a stop sign. At the base of the stop sign was a fox. A uh, trickster. Yes, exactly, exactly. So this is where, um, I mean, the, so the most important part of this story to me mm -hmm. isn't the UFO. It's the stop sign with the archetypal totem animal. Mm -hmm. Like, like a fox sitting, waiting at a stop sign. Exactly. So that's if that was in a dream, it, it makes perfect sense in a dream. In reality, you, you you say, oh, it's just chance. Oh, let's dismiss that. But I'm like, oh no, no, no. Let's we got to take this in. This is the key part of this entire story. Now, like th this, these stories are full of these mythic, dreamlike qualities. Oh, here, let me back up and just ask one question. So. You said earlier in your story where you were looking at the um, uh, the, the spaceship-type craft and you were with a friend, you said you had what felt like the oncoming of a migraine. Did your friend also have any uh, physical uh, sensations connected with that event? She did, and this is why I thought um, maybe what I was seeing, that at, like at first I thought about the lights that I was seeing playing off the lake, low on the horizon, sort of darting across the lake at, at a fast rate. I thought at first they were maybe sails or, or light, and then I thought, no, I'm not feeling well. I'm having that dizzy sort of migraine feeling. Maybe there, an aura is coming on. But she also said that she was not feeling good 
you know, her head was feeling a bit scrambled and that's why we decided, no, we, we got to cut our walk short and we'll take this pathway back up towards the uh, parking area and leave. And it was at that point when we came out of the clearing of the woods that, that this thing just appeared to us. Okay, so here, so we have a physical reaction. Mm -hmm. But within these stories is also this symbolic reaction. Do you have any other examples of this kind of symbolic uh well, I, I do. I have one that ties into dreams, and, and it's another experience. It's not really UFO-oriented, but it, it did reorient my thinking after the experience occurred. So this is, again, going back several years when my parents were still alive, and both of them had health issues. So I was very well aware of, you know, listening for phone calls and things in the middle of the night. And one night I... I I went to bed and, and I started having a strange dream. And the dream was of a woman who was, she seemingly was yelling at me, but I couldn't hear words. I couldn't hear sound. It was just her mouth, just the expression of her face and the, and the way her mouth was going. It was like she was yelling and she didn't seem very happy. And she was holding what looked like a French baguette, a French bread stick and she was waggling it at me and yelling at me and 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 I woke up jarringly out of this dream to the phone ringing and I, I jumped up out of bed and I, I went to the other room and I had called display and I looked at it and I thought no this isn't I don't recognize this number this is an unknown number so I'm not even going to bother answering it and uh you know I just thought maybe it was my parents or something so I I I turned around and I, I started going down the, the darkened hallway back to, to where my bedroom area was. And I saw an apparition of the same woman that was in my dream. And I was just, just shocked. And it was, it, the whole thing lasted maybe two or three seconds, but it looked like this woman had literally materialized out of my head, out of my dream and was now in my hallway. I didn't know what to do with this. And uh, I just thought, okay, maybe I'm still dreaming. And I, I went back to bed. I went back, back to sleep. It was such a bizarre experience. And then the next morning I thought about it and I went and I, I, I checked. And sure enough, the call display still showed that registered that phone call had come in. So it, it was a real experience. I was conscious enough that I had gotten up out of bed because it was just so strange the way it happened. It was almost as if I was in a half wakeful state, but it was as if the dream had bled through into my partially conscious reality. And I, the, the the title of my website, which is the, I'm going to just hat tip it here, susandeminer.com. I actually call my website, my blog out of my mind's eye, which is uh a little bit of a play on words to kind of be cheeky with myself, haha, out of my mind, but out of my mind's eye. After that experience, I started thinking along the lines of maybe we are co-creating, maybe we are creating, or this is all, you know, in some ways related to egregors or tulpas or whatever. But the interesting thing to me about that is that after this dream, I was relating it to my friend, Dr. Eric Ouellette, uh, we were we were having lunch and I was relating this dream a few months after it had happened. And uh, I told him, you know, it's funny because this woman was waving this French stick, this baguette. And he said, well, you do know what a baguette is in French. It's not uh, a, a stick of bread. It's a magic wand. Oh, yeah. Here's a question. Did you did you ever call the number back? 
I didn't call the number once, but I just, it was an, un, it came up like unknown number, but I just, I looked at it and it was, it looks like a local number. And I thought, no, you know. Oh, okay. Just wondering, just wondering. I, I, maybe I should have, I did, I do believe I did take a photograph of it, but I don't know if I still have that photo somewhere in one of my old files. I might've had a computer crash since then, but I did, I do remember it was significant enough that, that I recorded it because it was my it was my way of knowing that that I actually had gotten up out of bed that that call did come in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But seeing that woman with her her and it was just it was not like someone from my waking life. It was just some random archetype, I guess, of a woman waving a stick of bread, but a baguette, which is a magic wand. Yeah. I'm just wondering what Carl Jung would say or, or you know, like, I mean, there's a thousand different ways to, to interpret that that's very personal. It's, I guess it's more for you to yeah. pull out the symbolic meaning rather than some outsider. Yeah. But here, I guess, as a as someone who has tarot decks, and I'm sure you have a variety of candles and things like that at your disposal. Oh, yes. Do you have a magic wand? I do. I have a magic wand that was made for me um, as a gift from a, a magician friend that I have in the UK. And then I do have one that I created for myself. Did that happen before or after the, the event with the baguette? It was actually that came after the, the, the dream. Okay. So, yeah. But the dream, the dream was to me, um, it was finding out that it was a magic wand. I was like, Wow. Because I was saying um, to Eric that, uh, you know, and he's, by the way, he wrote a wonderful book, uh, Illuminations, um, that, uh, that explores uh, UFO experience from a parapsychological lens uh, and a social silence, which is, is not um, as popular, but it's worthwhile for people that are interested in that. And, and when he said to me, magic wand, it, it all sort of snapped into place because before that I was thinking this to me is like, did I, did I create her? Did she just leap out of my mind? She was there. She looked like a, it, it, it looked like a solid person. Yeah. Again, again, like, uh, it, like if I had thrown a rock at her, she, she would have been harmed. She would have been yeah, hurt. Yeah. Like, you know, same thing. Same thing as the, as the UFO experience for me. Or so it felt anyway. So here, I'm going to read a line from your book. Okay. And uh, I highlighted this and I typed it out and I'm going to read it right now. UFO experiences became the framework for my life. Synchronicity and magic have played a huge role in these encounters, which I view as an initiatory process, raising my own level of consciousness and shaping my pagan spirituality and my witchcraft. This was my rebirth. Mm -hmm. I could have written that same paragraph, changed a few words around, and it would have rung equally as true for myself and my struggling to understand these experiences in my life. Rebirth is a term I use all the time. Transformative experience is something I use all the time. The, the, like, mm -hmm. you start out, how to say this? You know, people change. These these experiences are powerful. They change people. They do, they do. And maybe that's that is their purpose. Their meaning is is to change us, to transform us. Yeah. The follow up question would be: Change us into what? Exactly. And that I don't have an answer for. 
but I do feel that my life is is far more, again, using the word rich, richer, um, maybe even better for my experiences. I certainly under, try to understand people better. I, I think I have a better feeling towards the cosmos and towards knowing that there's more than just, you know, the day in and the day out. It's enchanted my life. Mm-hmm. And I feel better as a person for that, you know. There's magic in these experiences, exactly. Yes, yes, there is. And um, and then I, that skeptical society, I would, you know, like that's that's what I would want to stand up in the middle of the meeting and say, like, here's what I found, and then and then give my spiel, which would be just exactly what we said over the last minute here, and then and see how they react. Yeah, they might react very poorly, but that's what I've found. I have found that that as a group, yeah, they probably would. But sometimes people people will pull us, you know, they'll say, well, you know, I don't believe in any of this. And then they'll say something along the lines. But, you know, I had this crazy aunt and she had some strange experiences, but I believe something happened to her. You know, I love her anyway. I believe she's telling the truth. But there's always something like that they're on their own road and, and, you know, and that's, that is what they need to maybe be on. Um, I, I, you can't convince people. And I'm, I'm so beyond that at one point, like 20 years ago. Yeah. I wanted evidence and I wanted to prove to the world and, and how amazing this is. And that's just not my, my trip anymore. I just, I'm putting my information out there and if it helps somebody, that's great. But I'm not here to say that I have all the answers or that I know because I I really I don't. Um, I know what works for me and I know that there's something more. But what that something is, I can't 100 percent say I can't pretend I have all the answers. I don't. And if you and if you had told me you have the answers, I probably would have ended this interview a little bit earlier because <laughs> yeah. I would have been very skeptical of that. Uh, hey, this has been great we've we've run a little bit over and that's totally fine i just this conversation went beautifully how do people get in touch with you they can get in touch with me through my website i have different social media channels but um the best way is through my website which is susandemeter.com so s-u-s-a-n-d-e-m-e-t-e-r.com uh, and there, there has all my different uh, ways to get a hold of me, um, including email. And that I love to hear from people, especially people that have had similar experiences with UFOs or high strangeness. You know, and I, I've always taken the approach of I'm not here to judge, but I am very interested and I'm here to learn. So if people want to get in contact with me, that's great. And a lot of these experiences are, are as well in my book. Uh, I go more in depth into things that happened to me as a child and things that uh, that shaped me as a witch. Uh, so in the Cosmic Witch book, and then I'm working on another book. Um, maybe maybe we can talk again when that one is out. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. More into the experiments and and um, and creating UFOs and yeah. So so Demeter, that was a Greek goddess, correct? Yes. And um, people have asked me if, you know, if, if that's a pseudonym. And no, that is my actual name. So Demeter was a Greek goddess. And of course, I am drawn to her and my witchcraft is drawn to her. Uh, synchronicity, for those who know the, the story of Demeter and the, and the goddess Demeter and her daughter Persephone, 
my daughter, my firstborn daughter, was born on the first day of spring. And uh, because of that, I nearly named her Persephone, but I thought Persephone Demeter is just a little too powerful, too much <laughs> power in, in having a double goddess name. But uh, but that is a nice synchronicity with my surname and, and my daughter. So, yeah. Wonderful. Well, let's, I can look forward to continuing this conversation. And again, thank you so much. It's been a joy. Thank you. This is Mike, and I am chiming in at the end of the interview. Now, this was a really fun show for me. Uh, Susan and I are very much on the same page when it comes to the UFO mystery. Both of us see it as somehow connected to a dense tapestry of other paranormal phenomena. And it feels like the threads in this tapestry overlap with ghosts, psychic experiences, magical practices, synchronicities, dreams, and so much more. It seems like if you touch one strand on the web, the whole thing vibrates. Now, during this show, we both used the term rich as a way to express our impressions about this web, or this tapestry, these intertwined experiences and phenomena. And and you obviously heard us, and we were both aware in the moment that this word rich was getting overused, but it was the perfect word for what we were trying to express. During our conversation, we talked about Robbie Graham's book, UFOs Reframing the Debate, and Whitley interviewed Robbie about this 2017 book shortly after it came out. Now, along with Susan, I was also in that book, along with a bunch of our peers, uh, many of whom are also my friends. We also touched on Russell Targ and his groundbreaking work on remote viewing. There is lots more on this in an interview with Lance Munguia and his remarkable film, Third Eye Spies. These two interviews are both easily searched out on the member site, as well as being linked in the show notes. One more thing. The cover of her book, The Cosmic Witch, was created and illustrated by my pal, Red Pill Junkie and he was also a guest on this show. Now, I want to once again let the audience know that I am no longer posting episodes once a week. I have gone to a a once-a-month format, and these shows will be posted here on this site around the middle of each month. People have been asking me about this, and this new monthly format is a much better fit for my work schedule. And I... And I thank and appreciate all the people who have reached out and, and contacted me um, about, about the change in the show schedule. And these very kind and supportive messages have meant a lot to me. If you've made it this far, thank you so much. Bye now. <laughs>